Let us pray. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to take your Bibles out and turn to page uh, 819. Turn to page 819 in your ESV Bible in front of you. This is Matthew chapter 13. We need to put our eyes on this text as we walk through it. For those of you that love uh, Matthew chapter 13, you're in for a treat because we are still there three weeks later. More parables to come. There are five parables that um, Deacon Josiah, and Josiah, it was so good to see you reading and hear you reading the gospel. Josiah was ordained just yesterday. Uh, so Josiah, we're so happy for you. Thank you for reading the gospel to us. I'm going to be preaching on the first four of these parables. These four parables are linked together. There's a kind of a couplet of two here and a couplet of two here. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let me begin a bit more existentially for us this morning. And that is, um, again, as your priest, as the rector of this parish, I do not want our ancient liturgy as Anglicans to become a perfunctory thing that we're involved in. Because if you're just here to go through the motions, uh, to re- you know, receive uh, the sacrament without much faith, you kind of could care less about things that are going on. Let me warn you that we're called to live in obedience to God's word, lives of repentance. Lives of repentance. And Jesus' parables are going to help us, specifically these four, understand, um, understand a bit about the kingdom of God and how it works. You see, um, for us as believers, uh, for myself included in that, we often get discouraged that the kingdom of God is not just exploding left and right everywhere we walk. Um, I don't know if you've seen, there was uh, a movie, it may, have been, it may have been a Disney movie, I can't remember, an animated movie where when the, per- the person was walking, and everywhere they walked, like flowers grew and gold was paved out in front of them. Unfortunately, the kingdom of heaven doesn't work quite like that. And you and I can come to worship here and be discouraged. Be discouraged that we're not seeing what we see as what, well, what ought to be the fruits of the kingdom in this life when we get discouraged and then we go through the motions believing that, well, really nothing's going to change within us or within the world. And our Lord, I think, knew that his disciples were going to, they're going to be challenged with the same, um, uh, the same thoughts that we have today about the kingdom of God. One thought is being fear. And the other is a bit of expectation, and I think that both of these things were present with the disciples. So I want to start with them for a moment before we get to our text. Have you thought about the disciples who were sitting, um, listening to our Lord, at this point probably still teaching uh, from the boat, though there's some speculation on was this, were these parables given directly to the disciples at this moment? We're not exactly sure. But regardless, these disciples left everything in this earth. Everything. They left their families. They left their jobs, their vocation. A tax collector left his post. Fishermen left their nets behind to follow this man who proclaimed to be Yahweh's prophet, Yahweh's messenger, Yahweh's Messiah. They left everything behind to follow him. And I bet there was a, I bet there was a bit of fear in following him. There had to have been. 
fear of, is this going to turn out? Or is Jesus going to be one of these other messiahs? And you may not know this, but there were other self-proclaimed messiahs around the time of our Lord, both before him and after him. And guess what? They, it, they all ended dead, <laughs> most of them by the states, some by zealots, dead, not resurrected, and their disciples were scattered with no hope. The disciples, I'm sure, were fearing the future and trusting and following and giving up everything for Jesus, the proclaimed Messiah. We would say, of course, the true Messiah. But then there must have been a bit of expectation because they are, in fact, following him. And they are asking Jesus to, um, to explain his parables. Do you recall? They asked him, they said, like, we don't just want to hear it. We want to know the truth, the kernel. We want to hear you speak, Lord. We're here to listen. So we know that there's some expectation going on. And I think within our hearts and minds, within the corporate mind of our parish and the holy Catholic apostolic church at large, there's both fear of following Jesus and a bit, hopefully, of expectation. And our Lord speaks to both of those in the first four parables. So let us begin. The parable of the mustard seed. Now, I want to group the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven together because they both have the same point behind them. And here's the point. Jesus is contrasting the littleness. I don't even know if that's a word, but anyway, littleness. I'm making a word here. The littleness of the mustard seed and the leaven itself in contrast with the largeness of the ends of what it's going to bring. The mustard seed is small. Leaven is tiny. But it's working quietly, producing something that is large and of epic proportion relative to its size, to its beginning. Now, the mustard seed. Mustard seeds are not the smallest seeds in the world. Now, we know Jesus, um, yes, he knew everything, but at the same time, he was just utilizing seeds and plants that were, um, and for those of you who are going to Jerusalem in 2024 with our church, you're going to get to see a few of the mustard trees. Now, they're not necessarily trees. They're large bushes between 8 feet and 15 or 20 feet tall. They're pretty large, but their seeds are tiny. About 750 of these seeds to make one gram. Could you imagine, you know, Jesus, maybe in his satchel, trying to find one of the seeds to show them, and he's, you know, having trouble finding just one of them, but he shows it to them. He says the seed is little, but it produces a large crop, a large fold. Now, um, we see that Jesus says this. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The disciples and those listening to Jesus and who would have heard this parable by word of mouth would have immediately thought of the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 17 because you see that shrub, that bush, that mustard tree that was growing and the birds that were coming into them was a symbol of Abraham's call, the largeness of what God was going to do through Abraham and the birds coming to roost, coming to make nest in this shrub were the Gentiles. Listen from Ezekiel 17. And just imagine that you're a disciple there, hearing our Lord give this parable, and then hear the similarities to Ezekiel 17. So just listen for me just, for just a moment. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig 
from the lofty top of the cedar. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest, and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. You see the similarities here. The kingdom of God is expanding, and it's expanding in such a way that others are invited into it. So where does the rubber then meet the road in our lives with this parable? I want you to think about um, the gospel message is being preached and we receive it, and it's growing within us, hopefully that fertile soil. And as it's growing, because we are a part of the kingdom of God, our lives are a microcosm. They're, they're um, mustard seeds that are growing into these tall shrubs, mustard, uh, mustard trees, mustard shrubs. They're growing. But the question, the existential question for you and for me this morning, beloved, is this. Um, are we allowing the Lord, by His grace, to do the work within us where others can come and take root and take, make nests in our shrubs, the shrubs of our life. How did you come to faith? Some of you may have come to faith through a dream, through a vision. The Lord still works that way. Many of you came to faith because you as a bird were looking for somewhere to nest, somewhere um, to live, to exist. And someone who allowed the gospel message to penetrate them and to have their life grow up as the Lord would have it, you came and you set up your nest in their life, in proximity to that seed and that tree. We see the birds coming and making new homes, new lives within that mustard tree, that mustard shrub. Beloved, we're called to be as such in our lives. We're reminded of Abraham, one man's faith, as displayed in his obedience. Go, I'm calling you up out of the land of Ur, and you're going to follow me. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in heaven. There's going to be a growth from something so little. But here's part of the rub. For a seed to germinate, to grow into a plant, that seed must die. The seed must die. We see that in the gospel with our Lord. He gave up his life, death on the cross, so that resurrection might burst forth both in his life and in ours. The Lord wants us to die to ourselves so that we might grow up as a shrub, as a part of the kingdom, so that others may come and nest within us as we are connected to the kingdom of God. The second growing parable, as it were, is leaven. Jesus told him another parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, or yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. <clears throat> Again, this notion that a little bit of yeast within flour 
makes what would be uh, a very, you know, um, small piece of bread much, much larger. But you see, there's a hiddenness to it. It's hidden within the flour. It's hidden within the bread. Last night, I was uh, talking with my son Levi on the front porch, and we were reading over these parables, and I, I wanted to get the interpretation of a young fellow. I said, so what do you think is going on here with the, the yeast, that is the leaven in the bread? And, and uh, Levi gave uh, what might be, um, maybe it's a typological or a church father-ish interpretation, so I was very proud of Levi, my son, learning to live with the church fathers early on. It's a very good thing. But Levi said, Dad, it reminds me kind of how the Holy Spirit is within us, but you can't see the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit is at work. And then when the Spirit is at work in your life, like you kind of, you show it, but you can't see the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking, yeah, that's actually a really good way to understand it. That, beloved, the, the hiddenness of God, the hiddenness of God is something that can bring fear for us, can cause us anxiety because we don't, we don't know that we don't see Him at work as, as we might think that we ought to as the world counts mighty acts, but he is at work in a hidden way, leavening the bread, leavening our lives, so that our life, each of our lives, may in fact be bread that feeds the world insofar as we are connected to Jesus Christ himself, the true bread from heaven. God working with a very small bit of leaven leavening the bread, making it um, much more robust, much larger than we thought it could have ever been. Are our lives leavened from the inside out by the power of the Spirit? Finally, there are two parables that really have mostly the same point, though they are different in a few ways. So let's turn now to the parable of the hidden treasure and of the pearl of great price. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The first parables are good enough. They show us, by the teaching of our Lord, that the kingdom starts very small and then it grows within our lives, within the world. Our lives become trees um, that others come into. That's how evangelism works. Our lives are leavened with bread that others can see and feast on and point them to Jesus. But now we really see the rubber hitting the road with these two difficult parables. I want to say something that may be a bit controversial from the pulpit. Um, so if you haven't heard anything yet, uh, listen here. Stop spending your money, your time, your existence buying fields where there are no treasure. Let me say that again. Stop spending your money, your time, your very existence buying fields in which there, is, there are no treasures. Would you agree with that? This is not guilt. Romans 8 says this, there's now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, for he's the one that died for us. So this is not guilt. This is a movement towards holiness. The man who found that treasure on that piece of land, now maybe he was on Zillow searching for a new house and found a really great deal and sold all of his inheritance to buy the house on Zillow. No, it probably didn't work that way. 
when he found the treasure, he was willing to give up absolutely everything to get the land where the treasure existed. What is the treasure? What is the treasure? The treasure is the gospel message. And the gospel message is about the person, Jesus Christ, the second person of the blessed trinity, his life, death, and resurrection. How many of you have experienced true liberation from sin in your life? You can raise your hand. Have you experienced some liberation from some sin? Thank God. Hallelujah. You've tasted it. You've tasted that treasure that comes to us. Sell whatever you have to to buy the field where the treasure is. Let me ask you something for a moment as we move to our last parable. What are the fields that we buy in this life in which we think that there's going to be some treasure concealed and hidden for us? What are they? Houses, cars, money, status, these things. Time. What else? Entertainment, happiness that the world has for us. Beloved, for us, we have seen and we know the gospel message. We've experienced liberation from sins. We are trying as best we can to follow our Lord in this life. What is he calling you and me to sell, to give up, to have the property where the treasure is hidden? What is he calling you to sacrifice? But here's maybe even a more important point, one that we read over too often. This is not a begrudging sacrifice. It says here that this man, in search um, for that treasure, who found the treasure, it says then in his what he goes and sells all that he has. In his what? In his, in his joy. In his joy. Beloved, um, in his joy, he sacrifices the things that are keeping him from this field and finally from that treasure. It's not a burden to give up things for the Lord, to repent from sin, to sacrifice those things that have become idols in our life. It's actually a joy. Because when you've tasted what our Lord offers to us, you know the value of that treasure. Let us move now to the final parable of the pearl of great price. Finally, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Beloved, um, there are some in our midst here who are still searching for the pearl of great price. Um, a membership to a local church doesn't give you that, that pearl. Um, some of you are still searching. Let me um, say two things in closing. If you are still searching for that pearl of great price, I want to say that that pearl is Jesus himself. He is the pearl. He is the one that gives you and can give you liberation from sin, joy in this life, fulfillment, the ability to endure suffering 
in this life with joy and with hope. He is the pearl of great price. For those of us that have been baptized, for those of us that are walking in repentance, we taste and see at this table that he is good. Beloved, if you came here this morning in fear that giving your life over to the Messiah, over to Jesus Christ himself, might be fruitless. What if it's, what if it's not true? What's going on? All these, these things. Be liberated by the fear. The kingdom is hidden, but it's at work. But also expect, expect that when you give up those things and those fields and all the things that are distracting us from that treasure, when you give those things up and you find that treasure, I promise you, beloved, you will, you will be moved to joy in this life and others will see it. And maybe even just then, the birds that are all around us will come and they will roost in our trees, that is the lives that we have given over to our Lord. Let us pray. Father, it's a joy. It's a joy to hear your word it's a joy to receive these parables. It's a joy to sacrifice and to give up those things that at the end offer us nothing, that will be burned up in the judgment. To find and behold that pearl of great price, your son, to behold your son that is the treasure upon treasures. I pray, Lord, in our earthly pilgrimage, that you would help us to be leavened by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be bread that others eat as we point them to the true bread, your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may our homes, may our lives be shrubs, be trees as mustard trees and shrubs that house the birds of the air that are looking for a place to roost, a place to settle in their lives, and in doing so, we may point them to your Son, in which we find finally salvation and the forgiveness of sins. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.